0: Restaurant Unstoppable, episode 372.
1: When we've gone through our challenges and I've been scared and fearful, you know, I look at how easy it is to picture someone like Heston Blumenthal, who is has had the number one restaurant in the country, who is ultimately running great restaurants at Michelin three-star levels, who we all look at and say, God, how does he? How is he so successful? And then reading through his story of how many times he failed, mm. and how many times he had struggles and challenges, and you know how he was running a two-star Michelin restaurant when they were still taking trash out through the restaurant at night because they didn't have a kitchen back door yet. So that for me is really helpful.
2: Awesome. And those- is,
1: is, is understanding the challenges that other people who we see see as successful understanding the challenges that they went through and overcame
0: are you ready for it factors success stories failures and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge then join eric cacciatore in today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become unstoppable have you heard of Watsy, aka the work opportunity tax credit? Well, Hire Me is a platform that connects amazing employers with amazing hourly workers, and it can hook you up with some Watsy. To learn more, head over to restaurantsunstoppable.hireme.com. That's Hire Me, H I G H E R M E. And if you contact Hire Me about Watsy services for a limited time, you will get Three free months with their featured hiring software. Get on it. Toast is a simple restaurant platform only for restaurants that connects the POS system to online ordering, gift cards, loyalty, labor, sales reporting. You get the picture. This sucker is all in one. And recently, Toast received $101 million worth of investment, and they're celebrating by giving away $2 million worth of hardware to new customers who sign up with Toast by the end of September or until supplies last. To get your free hardware, head over to P O S dot slash unstoppable 2017 or click the banner in the show notes. You have to use my links. All right. Give me a quick test test. All right. It looks like you are not coming through. All right. Try that one more time. Test, test, test. All right. One more time test,
2: test,
0: test. anything test test. Try now. Give me a quick noise what? all right and um One more time. Mm, There we go. There's your. All right, now try something. Sorry about this. One more time. And that should do it. Okay. Give me a quick test test one more time, please.
1: <laughs>
0: what the fudge?
2: Um <sighs>
0: So I'm getting audio, but for some reason the loop doesn't seem to be working on the mixer for you. Uh, Give me one more, just a noise to see if anything's coming through.
2: Test. Test. Test.
0: All right. Say that one more time. And with excitement, allow me to introduce to you today's guest, Chef Christopher Bates. Chef, my man, are you feeling unstoppable today? Well, it's still early in the morning, so yeah, I am at the moment. Awesome. So before we get started, we're going to give a shout out to both Brooks Tanner and Craig Hartman for calling you out. Uh, They were on the show, and they had great things to say about Chef Christopher Bates who originates from upstate New York and since the age of six, Chef Christopher Bates knew he wanted a career in hospitality. He would go on to attend Cornell University School of Hotel Administration in New York and today, Chef Bates is the co-owner of both FLX Table and FLX Wienery located in upstate New York. Obviously, we're just scraping the surface. I can't wait to learn more about you and how you got to where you are today, but let's get that motivational ball rolling with a success quote or mantra what do you have for us
1: i think uh you probably one of the things that i always think about is that you never really know the limits until you've gone past them and you never know how far you can go until you've gone too far so always just keep on trying and always keep on pushing
0: yeah that's awesome and how has that how has that served you in your career when did you when did you realize that this was something that existed pushing the limits
1: uh Pushing limits always. I mean, it's just something that I've always, I've always tried to do is see how far. You know, I think you never know how much is enough until you've gone a little too far, and then you learn to back off. Yeah. And so, I think that's something that I've just kind of always applied. You know, you'll never, whatever it is, whether it's it's cooking and it's about seasoning, whether it's about concept and it's about you know pushing the limits of of what people think can be done in an area or any of those things. You'll just never know until you push it a little too far, and then you. Learn how to adjust from there. Awesome, and but I think you know it's it's about taking those risks.
0: Absolutely, and one thing I've noticed among so many of my guests is that they aren't in competition with other people; they're in competition with themselves, and they're always trying to see if they can't show up a better version of themselves. They the were sorry than they were the day before. Would you say that's something that's true about yourself? Yeah, most definitely.
1: It's you know, it's <laughs> I think the the, the biggest. Enemy I have is, is myself and trying to make sure that I'm always you know always trying to be better at it. Awesome. Uh, and every day just trying to get a little bit better and a little bit further and a little bit more, a little bit more thoughtful on it.
0: Awesome. So let's go back to when you knew that this was going to be your career. Uh, that's usually where I like to start. For you, that was really young. Six years old is what I read. Is that true?
1: Yeah. I don't know if I knew it was going to be my career at that point, but I've um, been and cooking and. Just kind of grew up doing it with my mom and cooking at home and pretty detailed, I think, for uh, kind of the way I grew up. But, you know, grew up sort of in the country and um, middle of nowhere and just spent weekends cooking with my mother. And, you know, we didn't have a whole lot. So it was a lot of you know farm stuff and a lot of things that we raised ourselves. And so I've just always done it and started working in restaurants when I was about fourteen washing dishes just trying to get beer money and trying to get car money and all those fun things that you do when you're in high school yeah um, without really actually having any idea that that was going to turn into a long term career path decision that I was making at that time
0: so when did you know but, uh, was, was there a moment you can bring me to where you're like maybe this is this is it this is my this is going to be my jam for the rest of my life can you bring it to that moment where you kind of knew that was going to happen?
1: Yeah, well, you know, I think I'd always, going through high school and going through academics and stuff like that, I think I always sort of envisioned going to um, shall I say, uh, real school. Um, So, you know, going for math or physics or something along those lines and not necessarily a vocational school like culinary. Um, Though, obviously, I was very interested in culinary and I'd been by the time I was looking at colleges, I'd been working in restaurants for three, four years and um, I really liked the lifestyle and liked what I was doing. so when I saw that um, Cornell kind of gave me the opportunity to do both and to do culinary and still go to uh, still go to a um, sort of higher learning environment, um, it was really kind of the opportunity that I was looking for and certainly there in the first year or two, I realized that this is what I was going to do forever.
0: Awesome. And, uh, I'm curious why, what was it exactly about this industry? You said you enjoyed the, the, just the work itself, but what exactly was it about the work that you enjoyed then? And even to this day that you enjoy about it?
1: I think there's something about the, the balance of the art and the craft that I love about cooking. Um, there's also something about the fact that I think that it's uh one of the most sort of noble industries, you know, I think in the hospitality industry we have a very very special opportunity which is pretty different than most other most other industries our goal is to to bring happiness to people and you know I think most other other um most other professions don't actually get to do that necessarily or at least not as directly and and is Gratifyingly, as we do. So, I really love that about the hospitality industry. I like the, I like the stress. I like the adrenaline. Um, you know, I like the, the the feeling of immediate satisfaction of overcoming a, a a rough night, and and I just enjoy I enjoy cooking. I enjoy making people happy. I enjoy everything about what we get to do in restaurants.
0: Awesome, I love it. And let's go back to kind of paint the picture on how you got to where you are today so you, so we already kind of discovered that you were working in the restaurant industry while you, you were a teenager you went to culinary school or a uh, hotel school at coronel um what path did you take let's say like basically i guess coming out of college were you intentional about the path you were taking uh, did you start to have a vision of what you wanted to do on your on your own or when did i guess i guess how did that all unfold for you
1: yeah, I mean, I think it was uh, my college experience. I think was pretty different than a lot of other people's. Um, you know, I was working forty to sixty hours a week in college, um, and especially when I started working for um, for Chef Hartman um, when he was the chef at, at um, Cornell. Um, and actually, I was working with Brooks Tanner there as well. Um, we and I was just you know, it was I was in the kitchen pretty much nonstop, anytime in between classes, anytime in between, or any, any, all weekends, all summers. And I was pretty much constantly in restaurants. So I started working in restaurants, I mean, full time professionally and kind of working my way up right away at that point.
0: Was that Um, where you wanted to be working like that in that kitchen? Was that like, was it forced or did you want to be there?
1: I wanted to be there. I also needed money, so you know, I I needed to pay off my, I paid off my college while I was in college um, by working. Yeah. So um, you know, that definitely helped. I was trying to pay all my college bills and my rent and my car and all of that fun stuff. So um, I definitely needed job but i also enjoyed the
0: job yeah so you were really you kind of got a taste of what the industry was going to be like while you're in culinary school which is really great to hear because i feel like a lot of people don't get the taste for the industry until after they've graduated with that degree in hotel or restaurant management or oh god culinary. i
1: think that's probably one of the saddest situations yeah dive right into
0: now. that dive into that
1: um well i think you know as much as i think um Education is a wonderful thing. Uh, I think that we're in a position where it's been grossly over um, over importantized. I guess is the word I'll use. Um, especially in our industry right now. I mean, I think we're in a really um, scary place where we have lots of people who want to be chefs, not enough people who want to be cooks. And one of the challenges with this with the system is. Is that you can't, you know, when you go to culinary school now, you can't afford to come out and be a cook. Nope. You can't afford to come out and actually get real world experience because you need to get a, you need to get an executive job with a salary to be able to pay off your loans. So one of the challenges that we have is, you know, I think when I look at hiring kids coming out of culinary school, they can't afford to take the job that they need to actually learn how to work in a restaurant because they're, they're strapped with too much student loan debt. Mm. so it makes it really challenging i think to be able to to get that real world experience and i think that we're gonna i think that that's one of the big things that's going to greatly affect the future of our industry is what jobs people can actually take coming out of school yeah you know and if you have to take a you know you're you're not ready to be the chef of of something really <laughs> you can't you have to have that real world experience. You have to know how to wash dishes. You have to know how to, how to work in a fast paced online environment and to be able to be successful in running a lot of restaurant concepts. Yeah. And it's just hard for people to actually get that experience now.
0: Yeah, I know. I mean, it's one of the things I always say is you have to have that, that drive, that desire, that, uh, that bug in you that enjoys it. But on the other side too, you also have to be good at it to make it in this industry. If you're going to open your own place, you have to be good at it. So you have to find out first, if you're good at it and that you love it before you invest all that money, or at least do the work like you did when you were in college, working 40, 60 hours a week and getting a taste of it while you're going through it and realizing before it gets too late that maybe this isn't right for me. Um, But what's your advice for that? Sorry, go ahead.
1: And I think one of the other big things that's happening right now is that as our industry becomes sexy, it's it's actually kind of a challenge. Um, You know, I think I know the story I always tell is when I when I went to school um, here in upstate, uh, if you um, weren't able to handle real school, uh, real high school, you went to BOCES, you went to vocational school. And if Bosey's here in upstate, you could take one of three courses. You could be an auto mechanic, you could be a cook, or you could be a beautician. Those were your three options. Mm. And, you know, for a very long time, part of the big challenge was, is, is our industry was looked down upon so heavily that bright people couldn't go home and tell mom who's a lawyer and dad who's a doctor that you wanted to be a cook or you wanted to be a server. You might as well tell them you want to, you know, be working the pole and be a stripper now. <laughs> so I think that that is a great thing that that's finally changing that there is respect in our industry that you know all of the, the the things that have changed in the wine world now and the respect that sommeliers get there's TV shows about us and there's you know movies about us and all of this stuff is really cool obviously what Gordon Ramsay and people like that have done for the perception of a cook and a chef and what our industry is is really wonderful. The problem is, is that people are going into it now because it's a cool industry and it sounds sexy and it seems like fun and not necessarily because they are ready for this industry, you know? And the reality is, is that most of this industry is not about looking good on camera. Most of this industry is about working your ass off and really just digging in and, and, and getting
0: can I swear on this? Yeah, absolutely, man. I don't like... Yeah, t- <laughs> I mean, basically
1: just getting fucked every day is basically <laughs> what we do. So and you, you you s- know, a lot of people aren't
0: ready for that. Yeah, you said something, and you just said it again. Uh, they don't know when they're ready. So when do you know, in your opinion, when you're ready? To go to school? Yeah, to go to school or to, to make that commitment. God,
1: you know, I honestly... Well, and the other big thing is I I think you need to work in the industry. I think you have to do this. Mm. You You need to be out there working in restaurants before you go to school. And I think, you know, I think the CIA and a couple of those guys do enforce some mandatory time spent in restaurants before you can get accepted. And I think that's really important. And I think that that should be strong, even stronger. You know, I mean, I think there's a component of you that has to. Has to have done that. Has to have been in the trenches to to be able to get this. Um, you know, it it's becoming a bit of a lifestyle job, and I see it probably even more so in the in the sommelier community that I run with than I do in the in the cooking community. But you know, there's a certain lifestyle aspect that everybody wants to be a sommelier now. Uh, everybody wants to get to drink the wines that I get to drink, and everybody wants to wear this fancy suits and be in magazines. But the question is: Is do you want to put away the boxes? Do you want to uh, run around and organize dirty cellars and sit at your desk for hours and hours and hours and manage a wine program?
2: Mm.
1: The answer is: Is most times no. And I think it's the same thing in kitchens right now: is people aren't people see that Gordon Ramsay show and they want to do that. Mm. Um, they don't necessarily want to want to, Want to rock out 200 covers. Uh, <laughs> yeah, man. Of, You know, off of four burners.
0: Yeah, I totally get what you're saying. And uh, you just got to, like, I think if you're listening to this, if you're in school, I know there's uh, Florida International University. Some of the students over there are listening to this. Get the experience. Uh, find out if it's something that you truly are ready and willing to commit yourself to 10, 11, 12 hours a day for at least 10, 15 years until you can build that like framework of people underneath you. Uh, it's going to be a, a battle. It's going to be a lot of hard work. But at the end of the day, for you, Chef, what is it about this industry? What what allows you to show up and do all this stuff that you're doing? What keeps you going? What gets you out of bed? What makes it worth it?
1: Uh, I want to be successful. Mm. More than anything else, I want to. I want to be successful. I want to survive.
0: What is success to you?
1: And I think there's an aspect of wealth to it. I think that there's an aspect of um, yeah, making money. That's mm-hmm. a big part of that. Um, and I think there's an aspect of also being the best that we can be. Um, Just pride and yeah, you know, yeah. I mean, I think there's certainly ego involved. Um, so I think to me, a lot of that also is just, that's all momentum for hopefully being financially successful and, and actually being able to make money in restaurants. Um, so I think that's a really big part, yeah. but, you know, it's being the best that I can be every single day. And I know the first thing that my wife and I both think about is like, okay, what are we, what are we doing today? What do we got to get done? I need to get this open, I need to get that paperwork going. I need to to get this stock on the stove. Shit, we've got catering tonight. Like, It's just that constant. It, it, it's it's a unbelievable desire to not fail, mm. which I think also might be an interesting and scary discussion that we'll have at some point today. Yeah. The <laughs> difference between trying to succeed and trying not to fail.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So uh, you, after graduating, spent about – so you opened FLX table 2015,
1: 14. Oh, um, well actually, so what happened basically was, um, my wife and I, uh, had been managing hotels and restaurants together for about eight years, 10 years. And we had been, um, run a small little place down in Texas for about four years. Um, and then we'd moved to, uh, slightly larger place in um, in uh, Pennsylvania, where we were running a hotel with uh, 16 rooms and two restaurants when we started, and we ended up with about four when we finished. And um, that year, I was getting ready to take my master's sommelier exam for the, the last time. Uh, we had already started our winery up here in the Finger Lakes. And I grew up up here, and I was finally getting to a point where I had been gone long enough that it didn't feel like failure to uh, to want to move back here. Mm. Um, didn't feel like I was doing it because I couldn't make it in the real world. And um, we just started to realize how much we really liked it, how beautiful it is, how, mm. how awesome we think it is. And we started to watch, you know, looking as we'd started the winery as a way to kind of push the Finger Lakes Push the, the perception, hopefully, and push the possibility of what people thought Finger Lake Swines could be, could achieve, could, could do forward. We started to look more and more at the hospitality industry here. And so we decided that we were going to move up here, um, no matter what happened. And so we started making that move and wow. I, uh, thankfully, um, passed my master's only exam finally that year. Uh, in 2013 and we made the move to the Finger Lakes um, with the idea of starting to open um, some restaurants here.
0: Okay, so that was uh, 2013, 2014. Uh, before we kind of dive into present day, what were the big lessons you learned in that 8 to 10 years on someone else's dollar uh, managing and operating these hotels and restaurants?
1: Ah. Um, uh, Gosh, harmony. How, how long do I have to answer that? <laughs> uh, a lot. Um, you know, I learned a lot about finance uh, and a lot about financial management at that time. You know, and a lot about reading balance sheets and reading P and Ls. Um, R during that time. Sorry, say um, that, I that last part. I missed uh, that last part. HR. Okay. Um. You know, I think one of the things that I probably learned during that time. Is that, and this is, I think is a really important thing for people to understand in our industry, is that um, the uh, viability, sorry, let me say that in a different way. Um, ability One's ability to cook is really unimportant in opening a restaurant, um, and how unimportant food really truly is. Um, okay. And I think that, that was something that really was very important for me to learn.
0: What is important? Uh,
1: Uh, one of the most important things in service, uh, business management skills, understanding how to manage cash flows, understanding how to motivate people, understanding how to, uh, make your team happy so that they make your customers happy, and all of those things. You know, the reality is, and as the chef, I know we all hate hearing this, but the reality is, is that people go to restaurants with bad food all the time. They don't go to places with bad service. And one of the things that we always love to throw around uh, is you know, the, the hospitality industry is the most failed at industry, blah, 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 the first, three, first year, the first three years of hospitality, have an 80% failure rate. And the reason is, is that people think that hospitality and running restaurants is about cooking. <laughs> and it's not it's a business like any other business
0: I love it chef this is awesome so it, what is it, important is service business management motivating people and making them happy so you make your guests happy and I'm curious I mean and it's not about I mean food is important but at the end of the day that's not certainly what we'll we make. have to have you know yeah.
1: have to have good food but that needs to be a part of it and so many people go in to restaurants with the idea of oh I'm a great cook oh I can cook but can you manage a team? Mm -hmm. Can you get the 50 people or the 20 people or the four people on your team that to be able to cook like you, Mm -hmm. can you get them to do it with, cause yeah, if you want to go and you want to open that freak restaurant in the countryside where you and one person can run a dining room for 10 people every night and you can actually make that business model a success. Sure, you don't need to be able to do any of this other stuff um, other than at least understand finances. But you, if you want to actually be able to grow, grow a restaurant group or grow beyond one location or even just be large, you have to be able to get everyone on your team to be able to do it the way you would do it.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And you need to make sure that you can afford to pay them every single week. And you need to make sure that you know how to how how, to, how much those things cost, how much they need to cost. You know, ultimately, a restaurant has to be an entire suite of uh, of sort of applications, if you will. So, like, you have to have a concept, you have to have the cooking, you have to have the service, you have to have the HR, you have to have the financial um, background, and. You know, I think so many restaurants fail at understanding the, the importance of a concept as well, mm. Where, and, and it all has to flow together. And again, it's just so often it's just, okay, well, here's the food that, I'm, that, I, that I can do and I'm really good at it and my food is awesome. Great. You're going to love this restaurant. Well, if your decoration doesn't match your food, if your wine program, your beverage program, your beer program doesn't match that, if your service style doesn't match that, then nothing, but nothing meshes. You know, I think one of the big things that we try really, really hard at is making sure that when we open something, we have a fully fleshed out restaurant concept, Mm -hmm. theme, idea. Yeah. And that there is – and that it it flows from every aspect.
0: Yeah. Uh, So what Chef is talking about is just branding. Does your brand – does everything about your restaurant say what you want it to say? Is it is it communicating something? Every little detail about our business communicates something and you have to think through those things and make sure it's all aligned with what you say you are and what you want to be. Is that safe to say? Yep. My okay. Yep. That's uh, it exact. You said something else that um well first you said you know it's not about the food, it's about the service. Uh, what is service to you? Can you dive into what your definition of service is?
1: Um, it, that goes hand in hand with m- making that brand image and discovering the concept of your restaurant. So obviously, service, as we all know, from you know you're at the uh, at the Four Seasons or the the Ritz Carlton, and they fan you while you eat your grapes or whatever. But honestly, service is about making people happy, mm. and it isn't necessarily something formal or technical. It's going in with the mentality that I will make this customer happy no matter what I need to do. And that the first thing that that starts out with, that the first thing that everybody, everybody wants in service, and the most important thing that everyone wants in, 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 great service is someone to be nice to you mm. and that's it. Be nice awesome. to people, smile, so say is- hello, <laughs> say goodbye.
0: So is there a, a world where you might not be able to be nice to somebody, where somebody maybe pushes the envelope or goes beyond what's acceptable in your restaurant and you have to maybe not be nice? Uh, do you know what I'm talking yeah. about? <laughs> so how do yeah, you handle that? I'm curious. What's your way to break that barrier down, to do that graceful? Uh,
1: You know, respect. It, it, it's about being respectful, um, but it's also about having hard lines. You know, if you are, if you're being rude, if you're not being a nice person, then I'm going to ask you to leave,
2: Mm.
1: plain and simple. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: And I'm not going to be mean about it, but I will be forceful about it. Mm -hmm. And if you don't enjoy your experience, then, you know, for me, one of the really important things is, is accepting the fact that somebody didn't enjoy an experience and that we didn't maybe meet their expectations, whether they were realistic or unrealistic, but we didn't meet them. And the best thing in my experience that I can do at that point is apologize. You know, and, and I think in one, in one case, if we're talking about, you know, negative feedback from customers and things like that, for me, the biggest thing is just say, you know, I'm so sorry. We didn't, we didn't meet your expectations today, Good do try our hardest. This isn't what, you know, we certainly don't want our customers to feel this way because that's honest. That's true. Mm. I don't Whether, whether you expected too much or didn't expect too much, I've disappointed you. And that is not the thing that we want to do in our restaurants. Awesome. Whether we could have or should have done it differently. Not really a concern at that point. It is, we've disappointed you and I'm sorry. If you're talking about having somebody who's, simply rude or inappropriate in a restaurant. If you're rude to my staff, if you are not nice, we will be as cordial as we can be. We will try to make the situation as best as it can be for, for you and get you through your experience. But you know, the reality is, is I've had people who I've, I, I, I've gone ahead and called and made a reservation for them for another restaurant while they were sitting in mine wow. and not in a rude way, just, <laughs> I don't think that the, I don't think that what we're doing is what, what you're looking for. I've got another place that I think might be much, much, much more up your alley. It's just around the corner. I'll go ahead and call you a cab. Why don't we go ahead and get you over there?
0: Awesome, great advice. And, and, and you, go ahead.
1: And I, again, I think it's just about being nice to people.
0: Yeah, absolutely. You know, it,
1: I, I, as long as I've done everything that I can possibly do. I have no regrets about not pleasing somebody.
0: Yeah. You know, it's, it kind of reminds me in, we didn't really talk about arguments, but it's like when there is an argument and we, some, some people feel like the sense to prove their right and to argue and to find justice in that moment. And really at the end of the day, it's not about who's right or who's wrong. It's about just, even if they're not the best person, it's about putting out positive ripples, being there, be, doing the right thing, even if it hurts you to do it. Uh, it, you know, like, does that make sense? Yeah. Uh, yeah, like it not hurts yeah. you, but like hurts like, you know, to like go against your anger, you know, just don't let that overwhelm you. This, like Danny Meyer says, it doesn't matter who's right or wrong. Just make it right. Um,
1: I try not to speak when I'm ang- when I'm angry. <laughs>
0: That's good so, advice.
1: Uh, so, um, if, if I really, if you really piss me off uh, during service, I won't talk to you for the rest of the day. Awesome. Because I don't want to, <laughs> I don't want to speak. Not like I'll ignore you, but I won't bring it up. Yep, because I don't want to speak about it in the heat of the moment.
0: Mm, you got to cool down. You I would that rather yard.
1: wait and talk to you about it tomorrow. Yeah.
0: So you because also sorry, fighting
1: online never fixes anything.
0: <laughs> so true.
1: Yeah, you know, arguments arguments and passion don't 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 fix things.
0: Mm-hmm. I love it. So okay, uh, you also mentioned real quick, and I don't want to spend a lot of time on this, but a part of success is uh, or what will help you make it in this industry is motivating other people. So what's your quick advice on motivating other people? How do you do that?
1: No idea. I'm doing my best (laughs) to figure this out now. You know, I mean, the reality is, is that so far we have not closed any of our restaurants. It does not mean that we are getting anywhere near where we want to be yet. But I think every day we try to get better at it. Um, Every day we, we learn Things that you know, we we overcome these challenges constantly, and I think you know, our goal is to try and continuously get better. And part of it now is um, a big part of it is, is trying to really trying to work on that team and trying to work with that team. Um, I just saw a really great uh, quote um, from uh, Richard Branson, which I really liked. Um, and he said something uh, to the effect of um, businesses make a mistake by um, by trying to make their customers happy. He says, don't worry about making your customers happy. Make your employees happy, and they will make your customers mm-hmm. happy. Awesome. Um, and I think that that's a really cool one. And it's I haven't fully figured out how to internalize that yet, but I'm doing my best every day at it. And trying to get, you know, trying to trying to make sure that we that we motivate employees by making them feel a part of what we do, by making them understand the culture. And I know here especially that's a really big issue for me. Um, we're in the middle of nowhere, and we sell really really expensive wine. And I've seen far too many places where there's almost a there's almost a distrust, uh, amongst the team of like, why, you know, what is going on here? Why is somebody spending a thousand? You know, there's like a, a, almost like, um, I don't know how, how do I say that? There's a a little bit of a, like I can't believe that this person would spend that much money on wine or a bottle of wine. Like it's, it's all, it's crazy. And so, you know, we're in the middle of nowhere where I deal with a lot of, um, uh, younger team members, maybe who haven't had restaurant experience, who haven't, who don't drink wine, who don't know what these things are. And a big part of what we try to do is actually get them into that culture. Not, I don't spend a whole lot of time necessarily, at least I haven't recently trying to train them about, okay, here's the difference between Chardonnay and Sauvignon Blanc. You need to be able to explain this to a customer. One of the things that I spend a lot of time with is saying, Hey, Let's have a glass of wine, just drink wine, get used to this being a part of your everyday thing.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So like at, at table where we're a small team, it's um, dinner service only. So we're pretty controlled uh, uh, in our timing. We have family meal every day and it's, you know, the team is, is pretty small, it's pretty tight. And so every day we have a bottle of wine um, with family meal, just part of, part of the culture. Cause I want everybody there to get used to drinking wine Mm
2: -hmm.
1: to the fact that this is just part of dinner. This is part of a meal. We're going to have a glass of wine with that. We'll talk a little bit about it. Sometimes it's from our wine list, but it's not really about it being a huge training opportunity or at least not a hard training opportunity, more of a soft training opportunity. Hey, do you like this style? Yeah. I think the rosé is really cool. I think it works with this. Hey, do you like these white wines? you know and and just getting people to be comfortable with the idea of it and the culture I think is really important
0: mm. uh so the original question was how do you get people? how do you motivate people in uh sounds like one of the things you're doing is just kind of just creating that habit that habit of making this a part of their everyday um and making them get comfortable just talking about it uh but one other thing too uh that which hasn't Come directly out in our conversation, but just through observing you and what you're doing. And something that I picked up yesterday from Jack O'Sullivan was a recent interview I did. He said that uh, to get people to buy in, you need to buy in yourself. You know, you need to be convinced of what you're doing. And that energy of you buying in will eventually trickle down to your people over time. Do you buy into that?
1: Yeah, um, I think one of the first biggest things for me is tried to, I try to I treat our team members the same way or the way that I want them to treat our customers, and you, I think you see a lot of you see management style, which is that you you show them how you want to treat your customers by treating your customers that way. And then in the back of house, you yell at them for not doing that. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, I, I actually just try to treat them the way that I want them to treat customers.
0: It's the golden rule. So, of, treat, do unto others as you I, want done unto yourself. The, it's so cheesy. Yeah, I mean, every and so, time I
1: come into yeah. a restaurant, I say hello to everyone. So powerful. Shake everybody's hand, make eye contact with everybody. The way that I want them to, when a customer walks into uh, the wienery, I want everybody to look up and say, Hey, thanks for coming in. Good morning. Good afternoon. Good evening. And when they all leave, I want everybody to stop what they're doing and say, thank you. Goodbye. Appreciate you coming in. Good to see you again. You know, and I try to do that exact same
0: thing. Awesome. Uh, you also mentioned something. I just at the clock. We're already at almost 45 minutes of recording time. Um, you also mentioned, uh, the importance of your branding of your concept and having something that's intentional. So w- how did you come up with your concepts in FLX table in FLX wienery?
1: So we started the wienery first um, and we started the wienery in 14 and it was, we moved up here to start restaurants and we started looking at spaces and numbers and finally found a space, which was not at all what we expected. Um, but our whole goal at that point was we didn't have a restaurant concept in mind. We know that we can do restaurants and we can do any level as long as there's care, passion and 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 thoughtfulness in it. It doesn't matter to me whether I'm cooking foie gras or whether I'm cooking a hamburger or a hot dog as long as it's being done with passion. And the same thing, you know, when I go out to eat, I'm just as excited about going and eating, you know, a hot dog somewhere as I am going and eating at the French Laundry, like as long as the people cooking it care what they're doing. So we went without a concept and we found the building. And ultimately we really let the building drive that concept. And I look mm. at so much of what we've, what we thought about and we're like, Oh, well, you know, at night we could, we could hang a curtain here and we could do, you know, a small fine dining concept in the middle of this, this, this hot dog place with like a little pop-up and you know, I building. The building doesn't fit that. You know, so honestly, the building and the location really were what drove the idea of the wienery, and it made sense to make it a hot dog stand and a hot dog and a hamburger stand. Um, so we just kind of went through that whole thing with, with de- developing that idea. Part of it was sort of pirated from um, you've been out to Napa and you know Taylor's Refresher, Gott's Refresher. That idea of a hot dog stand where all the winemakers and all the important people in Napa eat all the time um, was kind of a part of the idea. It's a building that's in the middle of nowhere on a wine trail. So we figured, what do you want if you're out on the wine trail? You want beer and you want some fatty, unhealthy, booze-soaking food. So we'll do those things. If you're out and about, one of the things that you really want is you know, just to be treated nice and it's casual. So everything is done very, very casual. It's counter service. Um, there's the idea of waiting in a line. So we don't, you know, we have a pretty long line at most points and there's obviously that excitement that people have these days waiting in line for food, whether it's Franklin barbecue or anything else. Um, so all of that was just kind of the, the idea of, of flowing that together. Yeah. When we went and opened Table uh, a year later, it's a very, very different concept. I mean, our our average, when you go to the wienery, hot dogs are $3, burgers are $7. It's quick service, it's turn and burn. Um, we'll do 300 people, 400 people a day there. Um, when we go to Table, it is um, 14 seats all at one table, everyone sits together. It's the idea of a dinner party. Yeah. Man. So we rethought our entire beverage program. We, we our, our whole service flows different. Um, and each is to really kind of match what we would want in that environment.
0: So one of the big lessons I've learned uh, today, uh, the people who are successful, their concept or I'm doing air quotes there, their quote unquote concept is just a reflection of the transparent situation. I I feel like people who are doing really well today look at what they have, who they are, what matters to them, their values, and they start from there and create a quote unquote concept from there. I don't really even like the word concept. I think today it's really just a matter of being who you are and doing what drives you, doing what you're passionate about, doing what's, what's right. Uh, and just being awesome and just being transparent and showing the world how great you are, but first being great. And I never heard of the idea of starting with, uh, the, the building, and creating the, the, the "quote-unquote" concept around the building, and just being transparent about what that is, and that sounds like what you did. You took the situation, the environment, and you were authentic to what that was, and that was your brand. Is that safe to say?
1: You know, yeah. And I think when we were when we found the space for Table, we were actually out looking for at buildings to do something else, and we saw this space, and it was almost the moment we walked in and we started thinking about it, we've been looking and working with the space for catering and stuff anyway. And we're like, why, why don't we just put in the catering kitchen that this person wants? But then when it's not catering, why don't we run this idea out of the front? Like this is what this building needs. It's beautiful. It's set up. It can only fit this. The only thing that works here. And I think that that for us is is important because we're not trying to force concepts. We're not going out and saying, Hey, we want to open an Italian restaurant and we're going to put it in a building that in a building in a location that it doesn't fit in. You know, if you're going to do a steakhouse, you can't, you can't run a good steakhouse in a, in a, in a, in a building with, um, six and a half foot ceilings. Like it just feels stupid and looks stupid. Like those are some of the ideas. And the, uh, the thing for us is, is we're comfortable with any style restaurant. We can, we'll do a steakhouse. We'll do a fine dining. We'll do a tasting menu only place. We can do any of that stuff. As long as the concept works, so I think that's one of the things that we try to be really flexible about: is going in and looking at the space and going, what would work here, as mm-hmm. opposed to we want to do this, let's fit it in here.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: So let's talk about, in your opinion, uh, aside from branding and concepts in developing the space, what are you doing? in your restaurants right now that you think is really drawing attention that is separating you from other people and is really contributing to your success?
1: I think service is a big part of that for me. Um, I think we are constantly frustrated with service. Um, when we go out and I think it's something that we really try to emphasize with our team is just to be nice. Mm. Um, I think one of the things that, and and, and you know what, actually that might be a bigger picture. It is that we try to make a restaurant that we would love to go to.
0: Mm. So earlier, Um, earlier today you said that your definition of service was being good, being nice to other people, making other people happy. Um, So are you saying when you go out, you don't feel like that's what the goal of the restaurant is, is to to make you happy, to make you feel like you're important or whatever, uh, just valued. Uh, Is that the sense you get?
1: Um I get frustrated when I see restaurants who um think that they're that, that they're something special and they aren't nice to us mm. it's really frustrating to me
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, you know if at any point you are uh displeasing your guest or being rude to your guest or ignoring your guest, you are screwing up bad, yeah. So that for me is a really big turn off and it's something that we try to be really sensitive to.
0: So in a sense, uh, this idea of service kind of stretches into the idea of being humble and just humility.
1: Yeah. 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 You can't, no matter how good you are, you can't act like it. Um, No matter (laughs) how, you know, how, how much of anything you just have to be nice to people. And I think the, uh, and I think, for me, it's, it's thinking about what type of place we would want to go to. And it's making sure that all of those fit. You know, I think value is a huge one right now that I think a lot of times people don't think about enough in restaurant concept thing. And I know we, we don't want to be cheap. That's not my goal. We want to offer value. Mm. So I want you to maybe spend a little bit more money than you expected, but get way more than you anticipated. You know, and so I think that when like all of our all of our restaurants, I believe, offer really good value. You know, the Winery is not cheap hot dogs and hamburgers, but when you get them, you go, "Holy crap, I get it!" Yeah. Table is, you know, you can table is definitely not a cheap dining experience. You know, it's forty nine dollars uh, a person plus wine, and our wine ranges from. Uh, you know our wine pairings range from 35 to 150 bucks yeah but when you get them it should make you go holy crap yeah wow that's that's awesome
0: well how do you so, deliver the wine and the food in a way that um is beyond just the flavor of the food like how do you create that holy crap experience without with taste unincluded
1: um well first of all so one of the big I, Not
0: sure I fully understand the question. Let's start with that. Yeah. So let me see if I can't say it better. So uh, you're saying, you know, earlier today you said food wasn't so important. Food is important, but it's not what will make your restaurant. What will make your restaurant is your ability to serve others and make other people happy. So, what are the things that you do to provide that incredible value beyond just having the best ingredients and the best food that you can possibly put out? What extra things do you do that most people typically don't do? I guess is the question I'm asking.
1: Um, so I think value is a really big part there, um, and we one of the big things for us is um, to be efficient, so we can over deliver in some in 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 some areas. So we try to be we try to be super efficient. We try to be um, smart purchasers. Okay. So you know when it when white asparagus first comes into season and it's twenty four dollars pound, I'm not going to put it on the menu. 'Cause frankly if I have if I do that I've got to give you one sphere to make my food cost and now you look at it and you go, Oh that's kinda disappointing.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, I'd rather wait uh, three weeks until it's four dollars a pound and be able to give you you know, I think I think there's there's a lot of of, of rarity that, that goes into people's way of cooking. And it's, they always want to be the first to have it. It always has to be this or that, but it also has to fit into a food cost and people focus on, on hitting food cost numbers with fancy food and not necessarily giving people a value in what they're eating. So if you want to do like, it's really cool if you want to have Buffalo mozzarella on your menu, but if your dish is $18 and I get two slices of Buffalo mozzarella and a slice of tomato, I'm pretty disappointed in that yeah. dish, mm-hmm. most likely, right? Mm-hmm. And people, I, and I think a lot of times it's not thought of is what would my customer actually think of it mm. if we when when they go home, what do they think of it? Because certainly they're going to love it while they're there. They're showing off. They're doing all of these things. They're going to tell all their friends that it's great because they don't want their friends to to know that they consider value as an important thing. But when they go home and talk to each other. Are they going, oh, that was good, but man, it was kind of expensive. Yeah. Um, And I think being sensitive, to that's super important. Awesome.
0: Uh, Earlier, you had mentioned something about your fear of failure. Uh, I like to wrap up every episode or or not every episode, but the, the, this big portion, the big chunk of the episode, the, the conversation of the episode uh, up with a failure. Um, So why don't you share a failure with us? And then we'll kind of tie into your fear of failure. Uh, So what is the time that you fell hard on your ass chef and how did you get back up?
1: So here's the thing that I, I almost would, here's why I'm not going to answer your question basically (laughs) Um, is I think you have to question what failure is. Yeah. And it's something that I've had to think about a lot lately. So if I, If the wienery um, uh, has a really rough season and we run out of money and it goes out of of business, is that a failure? It is if that is the last thing that we do. If we let that go out of business and we rebuild and we build another restaurant better and smarter, then the wienery going out of business was not a failure. It was a step in success. Mm. So I think that, understanding the difference between a failure for me is if something doesn't work and you don't make it better. Mm-hmm. That's the, that's the thing. Mm-hmm. I had a student ask me this the other day in a, in a class I was teaching on entrepreneurship and they asked me um, about going for my master's sommelier exam and how I dealt with failure um, or how I dealt. Wasn't I scared of failing is the question that they asked me. Um, I took my master sommelier exam four times, which meant that I failed at three, mm-hmm. or rather it meant that I didn't pass it three times um, because ultimately I did not fail at my goal of becoming a master sommelier. I didn't become one that year, um, but I didn't really have an answer to her question. And it's really like rattled around in my brain for a long time. And I started to realize that one of the reasons that I wasn't successful the first t- time at my master's exam was because... I was scared of failing, and I let that fear of failure paralyze me. I'd never failed at anything before. I was always pretty good at school, um, never did great, but I also never tried all that hard, and I never failed a class, graduated from Cornell in three, three years, blah, 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 blah. Those things have never been hard for me. And then I got to the master's exam, and I, and I started to get scared of the possibility of failing, and I'd never done that. I didn't know what it was going to feel like. And when I failed or didn't overcome it the first year, I remember thinking, well, that's not that bad. I I guess this doesn't feel awful. I can just come back and do it next year. I mean, I came back the next year much, much stronger because I didn't, I wasn't scared of failing like I was the first year. Now the third year um, you basically have, you run the risk of resetting. You have to pass three portions of, of this exam. You got three years to do it. I'd pass two going into the third year. If I didn't get it, then I reset. And I became scared of the idea of resetting and failing at that level. And I let that fear get the best of me. And so going back that year, or as soon as I, as soon as I found out I failed that year, I'd reset. I was like, well, I guess what actually doesn't feel all that bad. I can deal with this. And the next year I went in without fear of failing. And instead, I realized that I wasn't, I was never trying to pass the exam. I was always trying not to fail the exam. Mm. And I know that they can seem the same, but there's a positive and a negative uh, influence of both of them. And the next year when I went, I went with the idea of wanting to pass that exam. And it was the first time that I, or it was the time that I passed. Mm. So I think that questioning the difference between success and failure and not succeeding when you planned on succeeding at what you thought you would succeed at is a really important question. When you think about that.
0: Awesome. And you I know like, I'm not going to no, answer your question. You know, and I I agree. And I really think that there is no such thing as failure. As long as you learn something from that experience and you apply it for the next time you make an attempt, and that's exactly what you did. Uh, you, you, you don't fail as long as you get back up, take the experience Learn something from it and apply it to the next time. And eventually, if you keep on getting up, you keep on pivoting, you keep on learning, getting better, you'll get over whatever obstacle you're trying to get over. Uh, So 100% agree with you. Awesome way to wrap up the first uh, section of this interview. We're going to be right back with a speed round after we thank our sponsors. Whether you're hiring a line cook, server, host, or manager, hiring is a time-consuming endeavor. However, there is a little-known way to lower your cost per hire. It's called WOTC, or Work Opportunity Tax Credit. By hiring qualified workers from certain target groups such as veterans, SNAP recipients, and individuals living in empowerment zones, you can potentially receive thousands of dollars in tax returns hire me is all about maximizing employer effort and watsy is one great way to do just that if you want to be guided through the watsy process every step of the way visit restaurants unstoppable dot hire that's hire me h i g h e r m e and if you contact hire me about watsy services for a limited time offer, you will receive three months of free hiring software. Get on it. Ever since episode number one, Restaurant Unstoppable has been tracking the most recommended technologies from our past guest mentors and toast is at the top of that list. With Toast, you get online ordering, gift cards, loyalty, labor, sales reporting, Elo kitchen-grade monitors, and handheld tablets to empower your staff. That's right. No more traffic jams at the POS system. Toast customers have experienced a 20% increase in revenue via Improved throughput. 3x increase in tips from digital signatures and a 50% increase in online ordering after switching to the Toast platform. Recently, Toast received $101 million worth of investment and they're celebrating by giving away $2 million worth of hardware to new customers who sign up with Toast before the end of September or until supplies last. To get your free hardware, head over to P.O.S. dot, toast tab dot com slash unstoppable two thousand seventeen, or click the banner in the show notes. You need to use my links. We're back, and the first question I have for you is: What is your it factor—a habit, a trait, a characteristic you believe most contributes to your success?
1: Uh, I will succeed.
0: The de- just is, being dedicated I, to I, that, you will succeed.
1: I can overcome anything, and I will make it work.
0: Being dedicated to success, succeeding, I love it. Uh, what is your biggest weakness?
1: That I will always figure it out, and I will always be able to make it work. And it's basically the same thing as my my strength, um, but it both holds me back and helps me move forward. And depending on how I use it, it influences that. You know, when we first opened um, the winery, we just needed anything we could do for cash flow, no matter what it was, we needed it. And so if somebody came to us and they wanted us to cater a thousand person wedding in a field with no power and a fire ban, sure, I'll do it. I can make it work. I can figure it out. Um, and it's that optim- optimism optimism, optimism uh, that I think is really, really important. But that optimism also lets me think that I will be able to make everything else work. And sometimes, you know, we might bite off a little more than we can choose. Sometimes we put ourselves in a little more stress than we need. And even though I know we'll be able to, 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 to do it and to finish it and figure it out, it might not always be the smartest decision. So I think being optimistic is both a strength and a negative.
0: Yep. Awesome. And what is your advice for leading others?
1: Uh, Go back to everything else. Be nice. Yeah, and um, treat them. Create a culture. Treat them the way that you want them to treat your guests, and show them. Train them to be the people you want the world to be. Mm. You know, open nice wine for them. Gandhi make said, them "Nice food."
0: <laughs> Gandhi said, "Be the change you want to see in the world." Right? Yeah, I love it. And it- make them. You know, make nice family meal for fuck's sake, make my nice family meal. <laughs> you know, you... It, it's, it's,
1: If you make bad family meal, then you don't care about the people you work with. Mm. And for me, family meal is the most important meal I'll make for the day. My customers come after my family meal. Awesome. And it's what I think about before I go into work. When I'm in charge of family meal, I stop on my way in because I've already made a plan of what I'm going to make and how I'm going to make it. And it's, it's the food. That I would make if I were at home entertaining my friends. Yeah. And treat them with that respect. Show them nice wine. Show them nice food. At table, we taste everything. So if it's a thousand dollar bottle of wine, when we taste it, everybody on the staff tastes it. Everyone there, the cooks, the dishwashers, they get to taste hundred year old wine every week.
0: That's awesome. When we
1: have, truffles on the menu for New Year's Eve, we have some truffles for family meal. We take care of ourselves like we want to take care of our guests.
0: That's cool. beautiful. And you said something during the break uh, when we were talking that really impressed me too, is that you look outside of the industry for inspiration, Elon Musk, or um, who's the other gentleman you were quoting a couple times? Richard Branson. Richard Branson, yeah. And that's huge too. I don't think enough people in our industry do that to look outside for inspiration and motivation and they say you're the average of the five people you surround yourself with uh so you need to be surrounding yourself with people who are doing incredible things outside of the industry because you will lift yourself up to those to the average of those people and then by doing so when you lift yourself up th- those who surround themselves with you you'll also be lifting them up do you want to reflect on that
1: mm-hmm. yeah i think if you look at your um it, i mean when we look at at the restaurant business it is generally a failure Mm. there are very few super successful companies and those that are i don't think want to see successful in the future um i mean no offense to mcdonald's or burger king or arby's or anything like that but i don't think that that's the restaurant future that we all want you know thankfully we now have um uh, Danny Meyer, we have Michael Mina, we have some of these groups that are actually being successful,
2: mm-hmm.
1: but I think that so much is learned within our own industry, which from the beginning is a, is not the most successful industry. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think looking outside of that to seeing what bigger companies, what bigger thinkers are being successful at, and taking you know I think when you look at there's so much Smartness from people who can ponder success that can be picked up. You know, and whether it's, uh, I forget, what it was, whether it was the guy from Toyota, the CEO or whatever of Toyota, or one of, those, uh, one of those car companies who said, you know, when asked, like, what it was like to be a, a success, he said, you know, I'm, I'm not a success. I've failed a thousand times. I've only succeeded once. By the averages, I'm not successful. Mm-hmm. And I think that, you know, thinking about things like that, thinking about those ideas of how to take care of your company, your employees that we see in Google, that we see from Facebook, that we see from uh, Apple are all really, really important concepts when we look at how we can grow a restaurant industry into a more successful, but also more balanced place. I want the restaurant industry to be full of bright, happy, fresh, fun people who enjoy service not people who are hate fucking food all day. Like it's, (laughs) that's the goal.
0: Oh man. What is your biggest challenge to date? Oh, my biggest
1: challenge to date is just continuing to try and try and grow this company from nothing. Um, you know, my wife and I started this with, uh, we're talking about it the other day, our, um, week before we opened the wienery, our, business loan was denied Oh man! and we were down to, I don't know, three digits. I don't even know if we had three digits left in the bank account. Um, so we opened, we, when they said no, we were already far enough in the project. We said, well, we got no choice now. Um, we're going to make this work. And we opened the wienery on a credit card. Oh, wow. Do not ever do that. Holy crap. <laughs> um, it's an awful, awful idea. Um, but it's, been trying to grow a company naturally where the, but knowing that our cart always had to be ahead of our horse, Mm. you know, we knew that we had to do a hundred jobs to be able to grow it big enough so that we could afford somebody to do one of those jobs for us. And then, you know, we need, we needed to be able to have the revenue to support a manager but we couldn't have a manager without, until we got to a growth point, but we couldn't get to that growth point until we had a manager. So it's been trying to hold all of that stuff together and trying to naturally grow it. And it still remains a challenge that we deal with every single day right now, is how do we, how do I now get a company chef? How do I get a, a commissary kitchen set up to make all of these other restaurants more efficient when I can't really afford it yet, but I know I need it to be able to afford it. Mm. So I guess it's the project that we're working on is,
0: but I think you're doing the right thing. Yeah. But you're doing what, you know, what is necessary, which is focusing on being something great, focusing on providing value, serving your people. And it doesn't happen overnight, but it's, it's one of those things that it's a long game. You keep showing up looking to be great. You attract greatness onto yourself and that foundation starts to get laid and you build off of it. Um, And it sounds like that's what you're doing. And what is one thing besides food that your restaurant does well that separates you from other restaurants?
1: Keep going back to be nice. people.
0: (laughs) I had a feeling you were going to say that. Um,
1: (laughs) Wine is, I mean, beverages are pretty cool for us. We're really good at, um, I think, balancing the high-low thing. So, you know, like with the winery, really, really simple food done well, but with the greatest wines in the world. Um, And, you know, the fact that we have $3 hot dogs and $3,000 bottles of wine available, um, I think it's something that has garnered a lot of media attention. And I think that, you know, the, the, the media and the press that we've been able to pick up with some of those some of our beverage stuff has really been helpful for us.
0: Awesome. And what is one book that is a must read that will make us either better people or restaurant owners?
1: Uh, you know, I saw that question, and the reality is that I don't read. <laughs> That's um, all right. So,
0: so really not what about much a resource? Of a, much of a, reader. a resource um, or uh, anything that you go to to learn?
1: So, I don't, I actually don't read that much about restaurants anymore because I don't want to be influenced by what other people are doing. Mm. Um, but one of the books that I keep on my bed a lot is uh, uh, Heston Blumenthal's Fat Duck Cookbook. And aside from him wanting to see himself in cartoon pictures throughout the entire book, for some reason, um, one of the things that I find really inspirational is, is reading about his struggles and it's something that when we've gone through our challenges and I've been scared and fearful, You know, I look at how easy it is to picture someone like Peston Blumenthal, who is, has had the number one restaurant in the country, who is ultimately running great restaurants at Michelin three star levels, who we all look at and say, God, how does he, how is he so successful? And then reading through his story of how many times he failed
2: Mm.
1: and how many times he had struggles and challenges and, you know, how, he was running a two-star Michelin restaurant when they were still taking trash out through the restaurant at night because they didn't have a kitchen back door yet. Man. So that for me is really helpful.
0: Awesome. And those is,
1: is, is understanding the challenges that other people who we see, see as successful, understanding the challenges that they went through and overcame.
0: Beautiful. I love it. And what is one technology you're leveraging in your restaurant that's having an impact on operations, communications, efficiency, profitability, that you're excited to share with our our audience? Oof.
1: Um, the kitchen side of me wants to say the circulator.
0: Okay. Uh,
1: um, business do- side of me wants to say Square, maybe.
0: Okay. What is it about Square that gets you really excited?
1: Uh, it's a way to get started. mm. Um, and now that I've grown, to, now that we've grown to the volume that we're growing to, I have to start to, to, to rethink that a little bit now Okay. and actually look at the cost. But the fact that it is um, free and powerful enough to handle what we needed to get going, you know, when we started, there was no possibility that we could afford a micro. Soup. Yeah. Like micros cost more than the entire investment that we put into the rest of the restaurant.
0: Yeah. In- um, I'm right there with you. I think Square is a great platform to get started on, not just because it's you know it's free, but you can also well not free you're paying you get charged with the transactions, uh, but you also can get financing through Square. And I know a lot of small businesses do that; they get small business loans through Square. Uh, so it's yeah, it, careful with those. Yeah, you do be careful. But um, you know if if you
1: short term and so the
0: mortgage or the yeah.
1: interest looks low. But they're short term, so if you if you take it out by the year, yes. If you if you need it, yeah, take take that. It's better than running on a credit card. Pay attention, (laughs) yeah. Pay
0: attention to the numbers. Be smart about it. And what other platforms are you looking at as you're looking into the future? Have you started looking at?
1: Haven't started looking. I just, to be really honest, I looked at my P and L and realized my Square fees for last year, (laughs) and um, it might be something that, and it might not. I know the reality is is. I, the amount of work that it takes to change that over, if it saves me a quarter of a percentage point, it's
0: probably not worth it. Yeah. Two companies uh, that come on the show are that I have great relationships with and that are mentioned on the show a lot. One is Toast and the other one is Breadcrumb. Uh, Toast is sponsoring this episode, actually. A special shout out to Toast. But those are two sources. Well, wonderful.
1: They should send me some information. Yeah, some <laughs> yeah
0: I, can, I can connect no. to you.
1: Uh, also, no offense to Square. <laughs>
0: <laughs> great company. They're all great companies, really. it's In today's age, it's really hard to be a bad company and survive. So um, with all the knowledge you have today, if you could go back in time and ask yourself one p- – or give yourself one piece of business advice, what would it be? Take your time. Take your time. And learn. I love it. And that's some great advice. Uh, and this whole conversation has been Awesome. Um, is there anything we didn't get to discuss, or something, a, a question I could have asked you that would have brought more value to this conversation? Um, I think that who,
1: who do you, who did you learn from? Who do you look up to? Who taught you? Thing I think is, a, is maybe an important thing that you could add.
0: Okay, so who do you look up to? Who did you learn from?
1: Um, I'm a, the first most kind of impactful chef that I've ever worked for, and honestly, you know, I rushed. I went from college. To While I was in college, I took over a beverage program and was a sommelier. And then as soon as I graduated college, I went and worked somewhere for about six months. And then I've been either a manager or the general manager or the owner ever since. So I don't work for all that many people because I'm really bad at it. <laughs> um, I'm awful at working for others because uh, I question everything. Um, but probably the, the only the person that I've worked for who's had probably the most impact on me was, was Craig Hartman.
0: Yeah, and he was uh, awesome. from barbecue exchange. He was an incredible then, guest. So do check out that episode. I'll link to it in the show notes.
1: So I think he was great watching him go from from doing what he thought he was supposed to be doing to mm, cashing out with the barbecue exchange and making that swing of to a concept that may not have been the the coolest high profile ego driven one to one that is just simply based on being successful, profitable and making money. Yeah. I think it's brilliant.
0: Hey, he's doing great. Uh, we're gonna learn a lot from that episode. Oh. So, uh, we wrap up every episode by calling somebody out. I already had Craig Hartman on the show. Is there anybody else that you admire as a business person, as an independent restaurant operator that you think would make a great guest mentor on the show?
1: Um, maybe Justin, you,
0: Justin, you,
1: um, from uh, Oxheart. What was Oxheart? I think it's Better Luck Tomorrow and T-Rex down in Houston.
0: All right. Look out, Justin. I'm For, coming after uh, you.
1: Yeah, get a hold of him or Alex, Alex Pratt. Okay. Another brilliant guy.
0: Awesome. Alex and Justin, I'm coming after you guys. I'd love to get you on the show and let the folks at home know uh, if we want to follow what you're doing, if we want to connect. Maybe we want to come join your team and uh, learn under you. What's the best way to connect?
1: That's a great idea. Uh, email me a resume. All right. And that and Tell me that you want to come work.
0: The email is I'm
1: not going to give it to you.
0: Okay. That you, way they they if go to your really it. you really want the job? Yep.
1: If you really want the job, I take it. it's on every one of my websites.
0: <laughs> all right. And I'll link to the websites uh in the show notes this is episode 372. So head over to slash 372 You'll find all the links right there. Chef Christopher Bates, thank you so much for taking the time to join us as a guest mentor to share your story, to be somebody who is making impacts, in you know the community, the lives, and you know just doing it right. Uh, it was an honor to make an example of you,
1: <laughs> Eric. Thank you so much for having me. It was an absolute pleasure, and uh, you know, just keep keep being motivational and keep pushing this place, or keep pushing this industry forward.
2: Uh, I will, we need chef. more
1: people thinking about it. We need more people driving and awesome. wanting and, you know, wanting to be positive.
0: Awesome. I love it. Chef, there is no questioning. You are unstoppable. Cheers. Thanks, man. <laughs> Much appreciated. Awesome episode today with Chef Chris Bates, thank you again for joining me today. Man, uh where to start? I think the way we open this conversation, just you know, putting that emphasis on getting the experience while you're still young, getting out there, make sure sh- making sure you like this industry, making sure you're willing to do the work, get a good taste of what that work is gonna look like. Yeah, I mean, we dream, we're big dreamers in this industry, but there is a certain amount of reality that will that will set in over time. So Get as much experience with that reality as possible before investing in this career. And I love the idea he has of just serving other people. And it's all about service. And service is basically making other people happy, which is a whole bunch of things that you can do to make people happy. But ultimately, it's about service to others. And just living to make other people happy is a big lesson I took away from this. And just doing good onto others. And uh, I loved his viewpoint on failure. Really, what is failure if you are learning things along the way, for getting back up, taking those lessons, and applying them to overcome the next hurdle. Uh, Awesome stuff. And then lastly, uh, this was subtle, but it was definitely there. He came up a few times. The idea of just developing your staff. And success is so many things. It's monetary. uh, It's... The freedom to do what you want. And it's also knowing that you're making the next generation of professionals that much better. Uh, Sharing with them what you know to be true about success and how to do on to others as you want done to yourself. And man, um, that's some powerful stuff. Developing in the next generation. If If you are good at that and you can surround yourself with these people who you mold over time, you can replace yourself. That's another thing that came up today. You need to replace yourself with these other people. You need to train these people up to replace yourself because you can't run a business if if it depends solely on you. Uh, Which is just... We didn't really quite come out and say that, but it's definitely something we learned from Chef Hartman who was a mentor of Chef Bates that you need to be developing these people all the time, treating them well, treating them like family. Great stuff today. Guys, like always, please do email me, Eric, at Restaurant Unstoppable. Tell me who you want to hear from. Tell me what topics you want covered. Tell me what challenges you have. I'll get an expert on the show to explore those challenges together, to learn together. Uh, keep those five-star reviews on iTunes and Stitcher Radio coming. And uh, if you ever hear about a product or service on the show, shoot me an email. I'll connect you with the right people, or at the very least, use my links. That helps keep the show free. Uh, that's all for today. Thank you guys for sticking around this long. I love you all. And until next time, peace out.